The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co., established 1977, have personal and domestic water filters, which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting, alkaline, ionized mineral water, which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals and bacteria, so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Balin Elspeth grew up in Los Angeles studying dance from the time she was four. This affinity with movement provided a doorway into her relationship with spirit, health and the body. She has since journeyed into deeper connections with self through studying yoga, tea and meditation. She is under the lineage and instruction of the Tea Sage Hut Center in Taiwan and works with tea as a daily practice to cultivate stillness and presence. To find out more about Balin Elspeth, please visit allmattersofspirit.com. That's A-L-L-M-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-F-S-P-I-R-I-T.com. Balin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. How are you, sister? I'm actually quite wonderful. I'm in New Mexico right now, just outside of Santa Fe, and it was snowing yesterday, and today it's sunny and beautiful and um, surrounded by juniper trees and our temple space here. So I feel quite blessed and and very peaceful and grounded. Mm, beautiful. In awe and wonder of the ever-changing seasons, no doubt, and days. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell me about, t- you just mentioned in your temple space. What is a temple space for anybody that's never heard that before? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I used to be a little bit more reserved and hesitant to kind of use that word because, you know, words come with so much backlog and connotation and and history. But really, a temple to me, we have a space here in New Mexico and also in LA, and it's called I Am, which is A-Y-A-M. And we do call it our temple space because it's almost, it is like this place of sanctuary that we attend to and tend to, both energetically and physically. So, you know, making sure that daily we're putting prayers and attention into the things and really, really being mindful of the things that we have in our space. And it's a space that's cultivated to really allow us the space to practice, um, to be in our practices, to be in the practices that 
are valuable for us, whether they're movement practices or meditation practices. And it's very specifically held in this kind of manner where, you know, we hold it as a sanctuary, as a, as a space for immersive connection and quietude and conscious expression and, you know, a place to just pour our prayers into and our energy into and our self-cultivation into that also holds us so that we are reminded each day when we're in here to orient towards self-cultivation, to orient towards consciousness, to orient towards prayer and wellness and well-being and connectivity. So I guess a temple is whatever you make it. It's your intentions, your attention. A home could be a temple space if we view it as such. So it's really, I like to view it that way. It's like a a sanctuary for dedication, devotion, and self-cultivation. Self-cultivation. I want to get into self-cultivation a little bit later, but what you just said, the word that you kept saying, or the one that a few of them clicked out to me was uh, space practices being immersive and conscious expression. But I'd love to start with definition for you of what space is, because we hear people talking about holding space Mm. and what is space and how do we hold it? Mm. It's a beautiful question, Pete. Words are, they point at things, you know, but they also can be quite limiting. The truth really is that we can't, we can't really hold space. Even though we say that's what we're doing, like as a space holder, you know, I, I am, I can say as a, as a label, or a title that I am a space holder. I definitely hold space, hold space for others, hold space for community. But really, there is no real such thing as holding space because actually we are all space and we're moving through time and space constantly. So how can we hold something that we are intrinsically a part of? And But because we are a part of it, if we just sit still, then technically we are holding that in stillness. It's an interesting one to say holding space because technically we're not holding anything. Space can't really be held. It just is. It's a sense of beingness and it's ephemeral. I think space as a definition, I like the way that we can view it through the the elemental medicine wheel through the Chinese system, which actually doesn't have air as part of it. So the Chinese elemental system, the medicine wheel is wood, fire, earth, metal, water. And they don't consider air as part of that wheel because you could relate wind to wood, actually, that would be in that system. But but air, it's actually space, which isn't anything other than what's holding all of the things. So space is always giving us the opportunity to merge, I guess you can say, is a very interesting thing to converse about because it's pointing at something that we can touch, but we can't touch. I'm in space right now, so I'm touching it, but yet it's, it is me. So there's no, there's no actual real way to grasp it or touch it or hold it. We have to constantly just be in relationship to it. And it's what actually does allow everything to take place. Like in a tea ceremony, space is the thing that connects all of the elements. So we wouldn't be able to have the ceremony without all of the elements, but also without the space in the kettle to fill it with water, without the space in the teapot to fill it with the leaves and the water, without the space inside of our bowls to pour the tea, without the space inside of our our bodies to actually then take in the tea and drink it and bring it in. So space is that thing that is just connecting everything. 
and we are made of it and we also are moving through it constantly and in relationship to it. So I would say it's a relational experience more than anything. Mm. I love it. And I, I'm t- <laughs> apologies for starting off with such a uh, tricky question because you know, the reason why I'm like finding the words is because it's really, it, it is a really tender sensitive thing to point at because this concept of how it says like, it's not, we can say the unnameable, unspeakable, unfathomable thing that we point at, which is this thing called the Tao, the way, the great path, the great stream, but that's not it. The minute we name it, it actually does it disservice. So in the context of us speaking, we can give all these words, but in actuality, it's none of those things. And so finding the words to kind of try the best we can to point at it is always a challenging yet beautiful dance. Mm, I love it. I love it. Let's talk about practice then, mm. because there's recently I've been through some breath work ceremonies, and even the title of work using a using a word to I guess cast a spell. You know, some people see that as like breath work. Oh, it's actually work, and people then have probably an association with the word work as if it's going to be an ordeal, or it could be a struggle, or it's like, do I really have to work at this? And what I love about the word practice is that it is an ongoing, never-ending journey, so to speak. And I would love for you to define—I mean, that's my interpretation of practice—but to define practice and work also and are they interchangeable and do you ever use the word work or is it always a practice for you it's interesting i do naturally kind of gravitate away from the word work but it's not something that i'm opposed i don't have any resistance to it our practice becomes our work i guess that's a really nice way of framing it because practice in itself i would say for me as a definition It's something that we can engage in and return to on a daily basis that allows ourselves to gauge our progression or evolution within the context or framework of something. So we are in a constantly evolving, shifting, changing world. And there's this idea that anything is permanent is actually one of our greatest diseases and disservices in a world where everything is constantly in motion and moving and shifting and changing. So how do we learn how to work? And we bring the word work in, work with. And then when I say work in that context, it's kind of, it's also, for me, it takes on a very positive, progressive connotation because it's like coming into relationship deeper with something. How do we work with what we're given on a daily basis, this external experience that we have with the world based on what's happening within us and what's happening within us constantly changes from day to day, moment to moment, hour to hour. We're emotional beings and creatures. So how do we get really anchored and grounded and aware of our time and space and presentation and presence in the world so that we can work with in harmony that which is constantly coming into relationship with us. And that's where practice and having a practice that really inspires you to return to it daily is so valuable and important because 
within that practice, usually practice contains a method. So when we practice something, we're practicing a routine of something or a method of something. And within that method, we develop a form. And within that form, we develop self-cultivation and awareness of whether it be our body, our mind, our emotional state, our ability to be in skill with something. And then as we touch that space every day, we get to see how we change within that, how that thing that we touch every day then changes us and how we're in this reciprocal dance of evolution with practice and work and harmony and relationship to ourselves and, and the world around us. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it was interesting when you were talking about that, I was, I was picturing all the different practices that people use as a tool for improving. And I was picturing a, a fly fisher person or fly fisher man or woman on the bank of the river, just in their zone, you know, and I've been in that zone myself, or maybe a golfer that's practicing this swing over and over or a surfer that's on the waves practicing getting into that flow state or all of these different ways in which we can practice. And, and for me, what's really been interesting since this sort of confinement that has happened is my practice is actually connecting with people like yourself and others on a whole podcast. And that might sound really strange, but I'm finding I'm very anchored in this moment and I actually look forward to this every, every day or every couple of days to actually connect and to be present and to listen to my guests. And so I thank you for being a part of this practice for me today. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things that you practice is tea. And I just love the word tea. I mean, it's, it's the one letter of the, the letter T is the same as the word tea in its pronunciation in, in this language anyway. And yeah, what was your discovery with tea and how did it enter your life and how did it change your life? Mm, I have such a, I like, I think of tea and I take a deep breath and everything in my being feels soft and relaxed and it's really affected me in such ways. And I also really love the word tea and tea means so many things. And I think that's one of the other really beautiful things about it is, is that Tea is a plant. It's the thing that we find in our pot. It's the liquid that comes out of the bowls. It's also the time that we get to share together. And so it has this real, all-encompassing, beautiful dance and journey to it. And I would say that I wasn't seeking, at least I wasn't seeking it like in that conscious way that's like, oh, you know, I'm really into tea. I'm going to go out and like figure it out or find it or find some kind of, it wasn't really like that you know, at the time that it came into my life and it really did come like into my life in such a strong way, I was, you know, I had done a yoga teacher training and I made space in my life for just the great mystery in a sense. I was like, okay, like what I've, how I've been engaging in the world, that's not it. That doesn't feel like the thing that's really allowing me to understand the nourishment of my being and my soul and how, what I'm, where my place is in this world or on this earth, that big question that we're plagued with, with like, what am I here to do? Like, who who am I? What am I here to do? What am I, what's my service? And so I was sitting with a lot of that and tea eventually kind of just came in through a series of, you know, very 
interesting events that my friends went through and while they were traveling and then ended up back in Los Angeles and Taylor, one of my dear sisters, Taylor Finney and her partner, Colin Houdon at the time they had been traveling and they met my teacher and they had brought all of this tea back with them to Los Angeles and they were serving some tea at their home at the time and Colin was studying Chinese traditional medicine. And so he was really very much into tea and potentially, you know, starting a tea business with it for it to help also support his pathway. But he's also very spiritually inclined. So he had met, they had met this teacher, Wuda, in Taiwan and really resonated deeply with how tea was flowing through him and how he approached a life of tea as self-cultivation. So they ended up hosting him to come to Los Angeles to give some workshops and to share his teachings and wisdom with our community. And the first night he arrived, I went to their home and sat and, and those first bowls of tea, they impacted me so much that I'll never... Like I can still feel the bowl in my hands and like see the darkness of the liquor inside my bowl and feel like this deep feeling of returning to this home space that I didn't even know I was looking for, but I knew that I was looking for. It's funny when something touches you in such a way that you're like, wow, I've been waiting to be touched like this for so long, but I didn't even know that this is what it was going to feel like. And it just like opened my heart and, and I spent like the first, I ended up attending workshops that weekend and I could tell many details to the story because it still feels so visceral and real in my experience. You know, I was so deeply affected by the energy and the frequency and the resonance of this plant and also the wisdom that was flowing through Buddha as a teacher. And so I just took the practice home and And the practice was, you know, drink three bowls of tea in silence before you get into doing anything in the morning, just having that space to be and to sit and to listen and to to be in relationship and to develop a relationship to this plant. And, you know, I think I sat by my fireplace for about four months and drank the same tea that I had first gotten when I completed the workshop. And it was just one of the most profound breaths of time in my life. And I feel like I cried over my bowls every day, like just because I was so awestruck at how simple, like how simple and unassuming this plant was and how deeply she was moving things inside of me and opening my heart and softening me. And like every morning I'd wake up and I was like, oh my God, I just want to go and I want to sit there and I want to drink this tea. I want to be in that space. And that's what I think really my first understanding of what it truly means to be and to start really listening to the more subtle experience, the more subtle conversation of nature. And from that point on, I mean, my life has not, has completely changed. And she's quite, (laughs) I say she we say she a lot because T has a very, very feminine quality to her in energy. So she does feel like a mother that's hugging you from the inside out or sometimes even like a grandmother. And she's definitely shaped and shifted the entirety of my life. And I spend most of my time actually at this point of my life in service to her and serving her and holding you know, that space and ceremonies for others to feel the medicine of tea in the presence of tea and the presence of nature 
in this connectivity that we get to share in such a simple way. I can unpack how tea has shifted and changed and affected my life for the, probably the rest of my life. You know, I will be continuously unpacking that and there's so much to say about it, but it's definitely like been a place in my human experience where I finally started to understand what it meant to be in an ungrasping relationship to something where it wasn't so much about, I need to get all these things and have all this stuff, but I really just sat in this like simple space and it's all just unfolded in front of me in a very organic, very natural way, constantly inviting me in, asking of me to take more responsibility in different ways, whether it be from my teacher or my community. And it's really taught me like how to just sit in the present moment and surrender and trust the unfolding great mystery of this universe. Mm, I love it. I would love your a little bit of history around tea as well. And what is it that you're drinking? Because it's not a psychedelic. It is a, a medicine, as you said, but it's the most commonly consumed beverage next to water. And what exactly is tea? Because there's green tea, there's black tea, there's red teas, there's purple teas, there's white teas, there's all of these different teas. So for anybody that, let's give a 101 on tea and where is it from? How is it grown? And the history of it, please. Yes. So I'll just give a brief one because it's it's deep and it's long and it's ancient and it's old. So to my uh, knowledge and understanding, the original species genius of varietal of this plant is called Camellia sinensis. And then, of course, as time has gone on thousands of years, that species has traveled to different terrains and terroirs and places. And so different varietals of that have spawned up. But the original, the Camellia sinensis is the original tea tree. You know, it's funny because we think like, oh, we have so many things that are called tea and tea tree. So it's not what we would know as like tea tree oil, which is actually the melaleuca bush. So this is not what we're, just to clarify, this is kind of not what we're talking about. So there is a tea tree and its birthplace is Southern province, China, in the jungles of Yunnan, in the mountains of Yunnan. And, you know, of course, they're bordering places on that southern province also are where tea came from before there were borders. And from that place, you know, that is what we know as the birthplace of tea. And tea has traveled into different regions and areas. And so therefore, with the great deep listening of our ancestors and the ancestors of those lands, different processing methods based on what was most appropriate for the weather and the seasons and the climates and the mountains, different processing methods developed and unfolded. So what you just said is true. There are technically seven genres of tea we can put them into. So that is oolong, black tea, which is there. That's a whole genre of tea that most people don't really talk about. And we have a, a bit of a, a common mistake in the West that we call black tea black tea, but actually the black tea that we are familiar with in the West is actually red tea, which is another type of tea. So there's the actual genre of tea that's black tea, and then there's red tea, and then there's white tea, yellow tea, and green tea, and then poor. And there's two types of poor, shang and shou. So these are all different processing methods. There's big leaf tea trees, there's small leaf, kind of more bush-like tea trees, and the bigger, more denser leaves are usually what is processed. And, you know, those are like more from the jungles of Yunnan, which is holds kind of a heavier processing method. So can hold the poor processing method 
and then be aged over long periods of time. Whereas like in comparison to green tea or like very small needlepoint varietals of tea that come from like the places in Japan, those are have a more um, delicate refined processing method that develops into green tea, for instance. So that's kind of just like a little overview is that the ceremony that I've been practicing and that I study is comes in tandem with the Camellia sinensis and varietals thereof, which we know as tea. Mm. And when was it first, I mean, maybe difficult to answer, but the first consumed, but, and why do you think tea is very grounding for a lot of people? Explain why it is grounding for, for so many people and explain the root system and why that is, please. So I can't totally explain the root system of a tea tree because I've never dug one up and had an intimate experience with it. However, I do know that the root systems are very intricate. And to my understanding, they are very, very intricate. They grow very, very deep in the ground. And interestingly enough, tea has this, it's not the type of plant that wants to be like transplanted. You can take some plants and grow them and then dig them up and then plant them somewhere else. But in actuality, tea is not really like that. Tea goes from seed to tree. And once the seed is, you know, opens and starts to root and the sprout comes and the tree starts to grow, the tree grows high up into the heavens, soaking up all of the stars and moon and sunshine and light. And then the root system in tandem and balance grows deep into the earth, anchoring, soaking up the minerals and all of the nutrients of the soil. And, you know, tea likes really mineral rich, dense, like kind of soil. So it roots there, holds on, and it's like it's planting itself as home and it's creating that home for itself. So rooting in nature, when we think about like when we take in things, I guess a, a nice analogy is like when we think about things and the foods we eat and they always say like, oh, the foods that like walnuts have like are good for your brain and they look like brains or kidney beans are good for your, your kidneys and they look like, you know, kidneys. And so all of these kinds of ways in which nature mimics things and how those things actually affect us, it can be a very literal experience where nature's doing something in nature and then we take that in and we're actually feeling the same type of frequency that the plant is also experiencing. So if tea trees like to root down and anchor down into their home space, then it only makes it make sense that when we drink it, it's also going to sort of give us the same feeling. And then of course, like, you know, those things change depending on, you know, what kinds of teas you drink and where they grow. Like oolongs, for instance, they grow up high in the mountains more on like cliff sides and they can tend to have more cerebral energy that that brings us out into the cerebral realms a bit more and can be a bit like more like swirly and airy so that's also mimicking the way that it grows in nature the way that it affects our bodies you know that is really always an interesting concept to take in which is that if we pay attention to the way things are naturally in nature usually we're going to have a very similar experience in some way shape or form when we take that in mm. i'm just thinking about processed foods and wild foods and wild forage foods and and we shared a tea recently which we filmed which i'll, I'll share with people later that was a wild variety and what i would love for you to do is briefly explain the difference between processed tea and i mean 
all tea has a process, no doubt, but explain. I know every tea is different, even the ones that you just mentioned, but the passion and the attention to detail and the care that is taken. And I've just received a, a beautiful order from Global Tea Hut of some amazing teas. And the one I was drinking today is called Elevation from 2017, which is an old growth mm. sun moon lake region red tea. So that's the first, that's the first tea that I fell in love with. Wow. That's that tea that I was drinking by my fireplace but it wasn't 2017 tea because it was before 2017, but it was that region, that red tea, that sun, moon, lake tea. So mm, it's a beautiful tea. And I guess to paint the picture and to really explain the effort and care and tradition with these old teas and where someone like Witter and yourself encourage people to purchase their tea from, why is that so important compared to, say, going to the supermarket or the health food store and getting something in a bag and, and compared to what this is. Yeah. So the way that Wuda would explain it and, you know, there, there's a Zen sentiment and, you know, this can apply to pretty much all of our life and everything that we do and how we approach everything, whatever we put in to whatever's in front of us, what we put into something is always what we're going to get out of it. So the consciousness with which we approach something will be the reciprocity of which it gives back. You know, that law, in a sense, applies to all of nature and to all of life in, in the way in which we move through it. So we don't want to get into this judgmental state of mind where like one thing's better than the other, like this tea's not good because it comes from a plantation and it's, and maybe it's organic, but it comes from a plantation and it's in a tea bag and all these things. And it's not that that is bad. I don't normally drink tea like that because I have a ceremonial approach to tea. And so therefore, like I'm going to look for and gravitate towards teas that are potent in their medicinal quality. And so because that is what I'm orienting towards, those are the kinds of teas that are going to find me. And so everything that we do from the beginning, quote unquote, the beginning to the end. So like you could say that the beginning could be the seed of the tree and its growth and its life and how it's been the quality of energy that it's been visited with in its human relation as it's been picked and pruned or harvested or even just visited to be prayed to because you know there are like teas are very very sacred in China and there are still places where there are old tea forests and there are like offerings and guardian trees and all these really beautiful temples before you that you have to go visit before you even walk into the tea gardens and make offerings and prayers and and there's things that still happen like this and so at one time the way in which we converse with nature was very different it was very sacred it was a it was a symbiotic relationship of devotion and we've lost a bit of that as well and i wouldn't say a bit i would say we've lost a lot of it actually but we're slowly waking up from that and understanding that like we have to return to this conversation to this way of engaging with nature that actually allows us to meet it and and not just impose our force and will on it. And so if that journey from the seed of that tree and it's growing in a biodiverse environment and it's seeding its other children in a sense, right? It's growing its tea garden around it 
And the humans that are visiting it are visiting it with a lot of like care and dedication and devotion and reverence. And they're picking that tea year after year and also putting their skill and devotion and dedication and reverence into how they're processing it. Say that's just going straight to like, you know, someone like myself or Wuda, like we're taking that tea and then serving it. And that service, we're approaching it with such devotion and dedication and mindfulness. And then the person on the other side who's receiving it, or if I'm just sitting alone drinking my bowl of tea, that whole journey from the very beginning of that seed or that forest from where the tea came from, that's all in that bowl. It connects us to the all of life, to every single part of that journey, and we're taking all of that in. And so therefore, we search for teas that have been cared for in that way. If we're going to drink them as medicine and ceremony, then the reverence we put into that is also what we're going to get out of it. And so the whole journey of that tea is part of that process, is part of what we're receiving. Not to say that you couldn't take like a bag of tea from the grocery store and sit with all of your being and be present with that and also receive something very beautiful because once again, you're putting your attention and intention into it. But it's just lost the first part of the journey where it's it's also like gone through such a reverent process from beginning to end. If we want to say the beginning is the seed and the end is the bowl of tea that we're drinking. And then that just starts over and over and over again. And it's like this collapsing of time in and of itself and every single bowl that we've drunk in ceremony over the course of history and time is like every single bowl that has been drunk with that intention technically is in that bowl all of the dedication and reverence that my teacher and his teachers and his teachers and their teachers have poured into sitting and being with something in such presence like all of that exists in this one bowl that i get to hold in my hands and drink just in this moment and my presence and approach to that moment is also a gift not only paying in reciprocity for that which has sacrificed so much to make it to that bowl but also paving the way for that to continue to move forward for generations so that's that devotion that all of this is what we kind of first started with which is it's practice We've been practicing with this plant for so long and that work, that time, that effort, that sacrifice that's put in, it changes the frequency of things. It changes the medicinal quality of it. My family and I have been using beautiful high quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at PeteHLC.com backslash Pete. That's PeteHLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective, dot com backslash Pete. Mm, it sits very well. I feel like I asked you a question when I interviewed you and, and had our tea ceremony in LA about that Zen tradition of chopping wood and gathering the water before enlightenment and then after enlightenment you still chop the wood and gather the water or fetch the water and and I'd love for you to talk to us about that because so many people out there are on a journey of understanding and Mm. wanting to attain 
more understanding, cultivate more love for themselves and for the world and this notion or this search for enlightenment. What does that mean to you and how do you explain that in that context? It's a, well, I'm trying to find the right word in this moment that actually really points to it in a way that I feel could be skillful to share. But, you know, part of the beauty about tea and the practice with it and of it and a lot of the themes and I don't want to say philosophy, but a lot of the intention behind it is this coming together of the mundane world and the sacred world and and understanding that it is all one thing. And so how do we find the most pure acceptance of what is? Like how can we sit in this present moment and accept everything just as it is, not as we want it to be, but you know, really just accepting this moment as it is. And then within that acceptance, not only do we accept it, but we find it extraordinarily beautiful. And that presence that we can bring and that we can sit in in a moment, that is one of our deepest, most divine gifts that we have to bestow in this life and in this world is that we get to sit out in nature. I just, you know, before we jumped on this call, I I took a, a short walk to go visit a tree that I've been you know, just observing and it's a pine tree. And there's this, you know, gap in part of her bark and she's just, all of this resin is like oozing out of her. And you can take this resin and you can actually chew on it, you can eat it, you can burn it, you can do different things with it. And she'll give these big chunks. I'm very careful to not pull resin off the tree because it's not something that the tree has has yet gave away. But when she does drop her resin, then it's on the ground and I'm able to pick up that resin. And it's this beautiful offering that I get to see this actually, technically it's a wound and she's oozing out this, this resin from her trunk, but it's medicine. And as a human, I get to sit and be present with this tree and see the magnificent beauty that she's offering and pick up this thing that she's dropped onto the earth and then take it and actually use it as medicine or smoke or cleansing and clearing. And it's this beautiful relationship that all of a sudden I get to develop because I've just taken a moment to sit with this tree. And the first time I ever sat with the tree, it was snowing out and I just took a walk and I wasn't planning on, I was just walking and I didn't even have my glasses on. And I just felt to kind of go like, come here. It's like, I was like, what? <laughs> Come over and, I, and then I sit and I was like, oh, wow. Hi. You know, this is a being and I'm just listening. And then I look down on the ground and she's showing me like, oh, I have some gifts for you. And just that ability to be present in nature and view the simplest things as divine gifts and then utilize them in ways in ceremonious ways, no less. That's a, a, quite an extraordinary experience, but it's actually also just quite simple. It's just being with what is, being with, what, with what's around you and really listening and tuning in to, the, to this wonderful, beautiful world that we have at our fingertips and that we actually very often just take for granted. And so this practice tea particularly has really been a bridge and a gateway to 
having a space where I sit and just listen. And then that then allows me to cultivate presence with what is presence with the water and the fire, presence with the tea and my bowl, presence with how I organized my chashi, my tea stage, and the flowers on it. No presence with the seasons, presence with that hour. Maybe if I'm just sitting, that practice bleeds and becomes a way of life. And, you know, something that I wanted to also just point out with practice is that eventually, hopefully, the practice is, it nourishes us in such a way that we become it, right? That it becomes our life, that it's not work anymore, that it's not practice anymore. It's changed the way that we move as beings. It's changed the way that we flow in and out of each moment and the presence we have there in it. And we're able to really take in the totality of this moment because we're able to be present with it. And that is so simple. And that's what it means to say like, oh, just chop the wood and carry the water. It's like, I've been chopping a lot of wood outside actually recently. And just being with the, the hatchet or the axe and being with, with the wood and seeing, having to really be present to see, to see single pointedly where I'm going to whack, where I'm going to hit and set the wood, the metal down onto that wood to split it. And like really feeling the centeredness of like when I'm really just with the axe and with the wood, that point of contact is made. And then the wood just boom, splits right open. And it's so satisfying. It's like all this present energy just in one moment, just boom, and the point of contact is made and the wood just splits open and opens itself. That requires presence, you know, requires presence and practice. Eventually it just becomes a part of you. And that's our constant work is tending what is, washing the dishes, chopping the wood, carrying the water, preparing the tea, drinking the tea, sitting in stillness listening to the birds, listening to the wind rustle through the leaves, recognizing that I'm not separate from any of it, just this vessel connecting things and moving things and shaping things out of care and intention and attention. And I think it's important to ground ourselves in in this kind of way of life because we're on earth and we're in bodies and we're moving and It's important to be connected to really sanctifying the mundane and really being like, what an honor is it that I, I mean, I like to do laundry. It's like such a menial thing, but there's something so satisfying. And I'm so grateful that I have a tool to do laundry in the way that I'm able to do it. And then I love to just open up the wet clothes and like hang them and and just feel the textures of the fabrics and just honor all these beautiful things that I adorn myself with that like clothe me. And it's simple, but that simplicity of just being with that in those moments of all of the things, it's no more grand than sitting in ceremony and, and drinking a, an older tea. It's like, hopefully you find the same thing, the same quality of presence and beauty and bliss in both of those spaces. You know, whether doing the dishes or drinking the tea, it's all the same thing in a sense. Because if we glorify one side of it, then we get stuck there. 
And then all of a sudden we have to separate ourselves from the ceremonial life to go do the mundane things. And then we start to feel disdain for the mundane things. Oh, I just want things to look like this. I just want to be in the magic in this way. And we forget to find the magic in all things. So it's been an important part of my practice at least. Mm, I love it. The word that kept coming to me where you were explaining of that was reconnection. And I'd love to, for you to talk about some of the experiences that you have at places such as Spirit Weavers, for instance, and that these practices and, and even our reconnection and why tea is becoming, I mean, it's always been popular, but into the Western world as a part of a, a sacred ceremony that we can do for ourselves on a day-to-day basis. I can't help but see the similarities in some context about how even cannabis or other plant medicines are making themselves more known and we're having a reconnection back to nature. But you've been doing this work for quite some time and spirit weavers and other retreats, would you call them, or gatherings or conscious movements seem to be becoming again more and more popular. And can you explain why these gatherings and conscious intentions are becoming more and more widely sought after? Is it that reconnection? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say a reconnection and a remembering, that's we can put our finger on that 100% is that we've gone so far away from our practices with nature because really due to convenience we turn faucets on and water comes out and we we have lights and the light comes on and so the need to like go draw the water and build and lay the fire and all of these kinds of ways in which we've been more dependent on the elements and connected to the elements those things have faded away in time and space actually our dependency on that is much longer. But in the modern world, which is actually really not that long, we've so quickly been completely separated from that, from our ability to listen to nature and heal ourselves with that conversation and that place in which it aids us. And also just in the way that we're able to connect with one another. And there's so much that gets in the way of just being able to look into the eyes of another human being and feel seen and loved and It's interesting because the phone has actually been one of the cat, like, and social media has been one of the catalysts to like bring all of this, like, together in a sense. Like, I would say, like, Spirit Weavers is a great example of that. Whereas, like, a lot of this community and a lot of the things that got built got built because everyone started connecting in, in the social spheres, and we were able to bridge all of those spaces and then all come into this meeting place and find that we're all looking for the same thing. You know, maybe it looks different in different pathways. There's those who like to commune with fire and the earth. There's those who like to be, to die with plants and to do natural textiles and dyeing and fabrics. And there's all of these different ways in which we can engage in that, but we're all kind of sort of wanting, wanting for the same thing, which is that like-minded space where we get to all come and remember together and reconnect together. And so interestingly enough, like social media is one of the reasons why that all happened. However, I think being on our phones and this, you know, moving more and more into this space where we get so immersed and completely taken over by technology has made that discontent 
that feeling like, oh, wait, like there is something missing. Like I'm missing something in my life that I don't even realize how much I need it, but I need it. It's like water, it's life, it's source. And that is our connection to each other and the earth. And so people will seek that because the space inside of ourselves that deeply wants to remember that and to touch that intimacy within ourselves and how we then are able to be intimate with the life around us, like we can go on for only so long and so long and eventually like something will, I don't know how to explain it, but it's kind of, it's just like, it's this itch and you're just like, oh, wait a minute. Like, no, that like, that's not it. Like something's missing, something's missing. And then you start to seek because you're like, this can't be it. There has to be something that to touch that place inside of me that I know so deeply needs to be touched. It's that same thing that I was saying when I drank that tea, those first bowls of tea in that ceremony with Buddha is that I knew that space was there and I knew something would awaken it, but I didn't quite know what it was. And I hadn't, and I was, it was completely unexpected that it was going to be that in that moment or those experiences with those tea bowls. And so, but once it gets touched, you're like, oh, there it is. And then you just, you're like, no, more. This is it. Like, this is where I need to be. This is how I need to start to reorganize and reorient myself and my life and the way that I approach things daily. So I think that's why a lot of the resurgence around these things has been coming because in time and space, like gathering together around fires and singing songs and dancing and praying is not uncommon. It just all of a sudden is a resurgence in this time and space because in the more recent past, it has become uncommon. And in only in our modern world, but there are plenty of people around the world who we've been doing that since the beginning of time, gathering together, Mm. praying, singing, dancing, communing with the plants, communing with nature, communing with each other. It's our life force. It's our life source. Yeah, I can't help but think about all the indigenous over and even the development of, of how religions and astronomers, how we studied the, the, mm. the stars, the moon, the sun, our relationship to that on this planet in relation to the universe and our solar system and... Uh, it was interesting. I woke up at 4 a.m. yesterday for some reason and I uh, spoke to Nick, my wife, who's a good friend of yours, no doubt. And she goes, well, maybe that was an invitation for you to go outside and see what was happening in the sky, <laughs> in the stars and the moon. Maybe it was calling you. And I was like, hmm, I think that's probably a, a really beautiful way of creating a connection there. Because what is the connection for you and for others with remembering and the potential of going outside at nighttime under the stars and the moon. And what can we learn from that or remember or reconnect with in that space? You know, it's different for everyone. And there's the relative aspect of the things that come through for each individual person, which it's so relative to the human that's experiencing. And on the absolute level, we're just reconnecting to the fact that we're just a small little tiny speck of dust in this particular body and consciousness has been moving and breathing and taking shape in the form of beings and plants and solar systems and stars and you know the sun and the moon and cycles and i mean this has been going on for so long and it's old and it's ancient and like we forget that we're a part of that and that remembering 
that remembering that we are a part of that light that is coming from the stars that is echoing from billions and billions and billions of eons of light years away. And all of a sudden it's like this echo that's hitting us. And we're like, wait, this body, it's small. This is a tiny little, almost like, I mean, they say it's like, you're about a speck of dust in comparison to all of time and space and consciousness. And that can be sometimes a bit frightening in a sense that like, oh, wait, then your ego starts going, but I'm not that important. Like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. I'm, it's not like then that no big deal me comes in where it's like, oh, wait, it's not really about like you in this body just, and it is because the more that you remember and reconnect to all of these things, the more that like that surgence of consciousness and that wholeness and oneness just becomes, it's all starts to fold in on itself and unfold into the great mystery all at the same time. And you're a part of that. And we forget and starting to listen and commune helps us to remember that we're not this mind that has all of these thought processes about your five-year plans and your 10-year plans and all of these ways in which you're manipulating the life around you to make you more comfortable. But in reality, like my teacher would say, like, it's all going to come apart. You know, it all comes apart. Like we can only like hold the illusion of this comfort and convenience for so long, but eventually you will unravel and the life that you have created will unravel and it will take a different shape and form and your body will unravel and it will die and decay. And that is just part of the cycle of life and starting to come into a deeper, intimate experience of that and really, really seeing and feeling and experiencing that as a truth, that as a truth, that it actually, it's not limiting because when you realize that you're a part of everything, you realize that it's infinite and your consciousness is infinite. And it doesn't really matter what happens in a sense. You know, that can be a hard thing to say, but it's about how present we are to the truth that we are connected to all things and that there are cycles and things die and go back to the earth, go back to the stars, go back to the stream, and they rebirth. And, you know, and that is a constant process that's been happening for who knows how long, really. I mean, I don't know. Mm. Um, it's a mystery. <laughs> it's a mystery. And that the most exciting and interesting thing that I feel right now is that on a day-to-day basis in my practice and in my work and service with others, I very much so I like the great mystery. I like, I'm like, Ooh, yeah, we don't know what's coming. <sighs> My favorite place to be. It used to scare me. Right. Cause I had the like, Oh, well, what am I supposed to do in this world with this life and, and this big person that I'm supposed to be? And it's like, no, you're already doing it. You're here. This is your purpose. Be present right here, right now. Liberate yourself, freedom, free right here, right now. And this is it. This is the only thing I can touch. So here we go. And I recognize that like, I almost relish and find that space delicious. And I can see every once in a while others who also feel the same. But interestingly enough, we have all, as a collective world and species, just completely been taken in to the unknown (laughs) with what's happening currently right now in our world with 
viruses and governmental systems and, you know, having to isolate and what that's doing that affects other places. And I mean, just the whole thing, we're one breathing organism and no one is apart from that. And we've just all in one moment just been completely taken into the unknown. And that is actually fascinating time to be witness to this unfolding. And I won't, of course, always, the darkness has suffering in it. It's just as it is. And I pray every morning in my meditations for those who find themselves in, in that space and have great compassion for that. And this is the time we're in and it's really the unknown and it's, and it's actually quite profound to be here in this time. Mm. Over the course of history, there's been sort of mystery schools and initiations and rites of passage and all of these ways in which we can prepare ourselves to the best to be more present and to know our strengths and face our shadows or face our, our perceived weaknesses. And what have you learned along your journey about this mystery? And for anybody listening that this might be the first time they've ever heard of these concepts, what could be the first step for somebody? Is it being present with tea? And if anyone's more interested in what can we re-remember or remember from our past that might be coming through for us now into this present moment as an, as an invitation or an offering? I mean, this is, this is a bit of a rabbit hole because the word past that you use is a really interesting one because if we take the linear away in a sense and we move into this concept, you know, and I'm just speaking conceptually, right? We move into this concept that that time is not actually this linear thing, that the past, present, and future, it's actually all happening right now. It's all, and we don't know if that is on a vertical plane or a horizontal plane, or if it's in spirals or what that means. Like there is an infinite, the point to that is really just that there is an infinite, an infinite amount of possibilities that are occurring in any given moment like infinite. And this space of remembering, it's really interesting because it's not necessarily, we can view it as like, oh, I'm like reclaiming like aspects of like my past or what came before this body in my consciousness or whatever that might be. But also we can even just break that down and we can just collapse it all into this present moment and just say that also like there are things that are happening right now that we don't even know are happening. And there are ways in which the world works that we are not aware of. And that place of not knowing, it's actually the opening. It's the opening into the infinite and into the cosmic universe and into dimensional reality and all of these kind of, you know, wild concepts. And I'm never going to say that I like know this. I don't have one way in which I know things other than I don't know. And there are a million and infinite ways things can be happening in this moment other than what they appear to me and my capability to see and listen and feel and touch. And so really coming into a deeper relationship to your own stillness. And I would say that tea and meditation and most of my practices, and I would say a lot of schools for, you know, that approach cultivation in any way, shape or form 
there is going to be this kind of through line where there is a point of stillness always that we get to start to really feel. Because in actuality, we can still our bodies to a place in which like the observing eye from the outside might not even might say, oh, wow, she's so still. Her meditation, she's very still. She's not moved, not once, 30 minutes or whatever, right? But actually, that is only a perception because I start to feel the movement on a subtler level that's happening inside of me, the inner workings of my body, the inner workings of my spirit. I start to feel the subtle movements of the air that encompasses my flesh, like all of these ways in which we actually start to touch and feel things that when we're moving at such a rapid pace and we have so much sensory stimulation that we actually, we're numb to it. So I would say like a really easy way to just start really reconnecting is to just take time to just be still with your body, with yourself, with starting to observe our thoughts, observe our breath, observe our sensations in our body, listen to what's happening around us, listen to the conversations of the wind and the birds and the trees, listen to the little creeks in our homes, listen to the subtleties, the things that we so easily just skip over. And in that space, actually, that's when we start to actually have the remembrance that there is a world and a conversation happening constantly that is beyond what the gross sensations are feeling on a moment to moment basis. That key unlocks worlds, which then unlocks worlds, which then unlocks worlds. And the gross sensations become subtler and then those subtle sensations become gross and then more subtle sensations come, more subtle listening comes, you know, more recollection and reclamation of the truer understanding of like, who you are without all of the stories and the concepts and the beliefs and the programmings and the patterns and the plans and the futures and the past and the limitations and the desires and all of this stuff that actually just clouds the purity and essence and truth of our being, which is none of that actually. That's something that you get to find on your on your own. <laughs> I love it. The eternal journey inwards yes. and outwards yes. as well. <laughs> uh, anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? My teacher always says after he gives talks, and I really like it. I like it so much. I like it so much. He says, anything that I've just um, shared with you and anything that has come out that has resonated deeply it was always yours to begin with. And that is that place of, I'm just a being channeling some words and it sparked something in the remembrance of your own consciousness that was already there. And anything that didn't resonate, then we have this beautiful digestive system and we can just digest it and let it out and take those pearls and those things that were already sparks in our own awareness and beingness uh, with us to plant those seeds in our garden to nurture nurture more cultivation for ourselves and those around us. And just really that I hope everyone finds themselves in listening to this space, anyone who's listening, that you're just can take a moment to have a bit of stillness, a bit of peace, a bit of quiet that you can 
can take a moment to maybe feel your breath touching your nostrils as you breathe in and out and feeling your chest rise and fall as, as your lungs expand and contract and just allowing yourselves to be present in the stillness in the divinity of your eternal being mm. and may all beings be happy and peaceful and blessed and liberated mm. thank you thank you Palin. I've actually just got Buddha's book here, your teacher. Fallen Leaves, Tea-Inspired Poetry to Sit By, and I thought I'd just open a page. And what I opened to was old trees send root messages Mm -hmm. down through the depths to the birds soaring in the sky. And no truer words have ever been spoken. Mm -hmm. And I want to tell you that I love you and thank you so much for your influence in my life through you to my wife Nick the experience of tea that has shaped her experience in life which has had a ripple effect onto mine and no doubt this will have a ripple effect onto other people and work that you're doing and Buddha's doing so thank you so much for your for your presence for your love for your wisdom and for being you thank you Baylor thank you so much Pete I'm so happy to have spent this time with you Mm. Have a wonderful day and say hello to the tree for me. Okay, I will. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed their health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows, and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.